Good morning. We're continuing our series in 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 4 this morning if you want to go ahead and turn there. And I'm just going to give you a heads up. It's a heavy topic. There's a lot of scripture today. Um, Hang with me. There's some good stuff in here for us this morning. We've been saying that Peter had a strong story at work in his life, one that he believed in, but that Jesus had a bigger story for Peter and was consistently trying to draw Peter to this bigger thing that God was trying to do. Peter's trying to do that for us in these letters. Last week, Thomas delivered an incredible message for us on how we can respond when it feels like our story is out of control. If you missed that, if you were not here, you should go back and watch that message. It was so powerful, so challenging, so much truth. This week, Peter is going to continue to drill down on that, but we're going to go a little bit deeper, and we're going to talk specifically about the stories of our suffering and how those stories, those can be strong stories at work in our lives. Feeling out of control of our stories is difficult. Trying to understand where God is in our suffering can be faith shattering. So I'd like to start by asking a really great question. How can there be a good God, a just God, in the presence of so much suffering in the world, which sometimes God appears to do nothing about. I do believe God to be good. To me, the evidence of that is overwhelming. But evidence is also overwhelming that God fully allows suffering, and that presents some serious tension. Genocide? harsh physical disabilities, abuse, imprisonment of the innocent, human slavery and trafficking, the tragic lives of addicts and their codependents, natural disasters like floods, fires, tornadoes, worldwide pandemics that kill millions of people. It's difficult when we believe in an all-powerful and good God, but see ways in which it seems he's not exercising that power and goodness when and how we think he should. It's easy then for us to fill in the gaps ourselves, the gaps that we see and feel in this tension. Our hearts want to make sense of all of this, so we grab the pen and we begin to write a story that we can understand and we erase from the story the things that we don't understand. We do this because we need it to make sense. Because the greatest hell we can experience isn't in our suffering, but in feeling like our suffering is pointless. So we try to connect the dots and make logical sense of something that isn't logical at all. In fact, it's entirely spiritual. So we need a spiritual filter to see the story for what it is. And Peter is going to provide that filter for us. But first I want to ask you another question. What is the story you tell of your suffering? 
I know that can be a very tender place to take us this morning. I promise I'm not asking you to go anywhere that I have not already gone myself. Peter is inviting us to go to those tender places that we all have because he wants us to understand how important the story we tell of that tender place is. Peter knew these hard things that we all experience in our lives, they shape our personal narratives. What we experience throughout life, especially painful experiences, impact the perceptions that we carry. And the longer we carry those perceptions, the more they become truths that we believe, live by, operate under, and then we use them to help us navigate life today for good or for bad. The story we tell ourselves regarding our suffering will be the story we tell others, both in our words and in our actions. It will become the story we live out. We can't, cha- we can't change what experiences that we have in our lives, but we can choose how we let these experiences change us. And Peter's letters were all about this the importance of reframing the stories that we find ourselves in. And this is an especially hard thing to let God do in us, especially when we consider these chapters of our lives that involve suffering. Peter will talk a lot about suffering today, and he's a voice worth listening to on this subject because he certainly suffered. And while most of Peter's suffering was a direct result of his belief in Jesus, Some of the suffering Peter experienced was because he had yet to allow God to reframe the story he thought he was living. I know you and I don't experience persecution for Christ like Peter did. I still think his his words will ring true regardless of the cause or the type of our suffering. So we're going to start in chapter 4, verse 1 today, where right out of the gate, Peter points out the starting point for reframing the story we tell ourselves of our suffering. Verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now it should be no surprise that Peter's words on suffering begin by addressing our way of thinking. We're not at risk for physical suffering in the same ways that Peter was. Back then, you could be thrown into prison for your belief in Jesus as the Messiah. You could even be killed. We just don't have that in common with Peter or the believers that he was writing to. But we do have this thinking piece that Peter talks about in common. One commentator says, the beginning of all true mortification lies in the mind, not in the penances and hardships upon the body. Oh, how we can suffer physically. Chronic pain, physical disabilities, sickness that takes over our bodies, heartbreak. These things can all crack us apart and keep us from experiencing wholeness but nothing can hinder our ability to experience wholeness quite like the broken thought life that we so often let run rampant, especially when it comes to our suffering. 
So this is where Peter wants us to begin. What's the story you tell of the suffering that you have experienced? Our narratives are often so jaded when it comes to ways we suffer because we see everything through the lens of our own needs, our own wounds, our angers, our disappointments. And that is far too small a lens to see things truthfully, wisely, or deeply. This is so true of me that I made at least three attempts to start writing this message today, and I had to throw all three of them out because I just kept coming at it the way I see it and not the way God does. Can we just admit that we usually don't see things as they are? We see things as we are. And because of that, we absolutely have to let Jesus into that narrative that we have written in our minds regarding our experience of suffering. We have to let the Spirit show us what is true and what is not, because we simply can't be trusted to see those things clearly. And this is a journey, by the way. I don't know of a single human being who would say, this is done in one honest conversation with God. No, this is a decision made again and again and again. It is a process. I am in this process. It's a tough process because God often does not give us good logical answers as to why we suffer. We think we need logical answers, but we don't. We need spiritual ones. Peter had experienced this paradigm shift in his thinking, and he's urging us to do the same. Let's continue in verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now there's a lot there, but this is what I want us to pull from in these verses. Peter lays out some really practical ways that we can reject the story that the world wants us to embrace. Living for our own passions is the story our broken world tries to convince us of. Worldly culture tries to convince us they have the answers we need, especially when we're hurting or insecure. I follow an organization whose focus is on helping leaders and parents share the good news of the gospel with the next generation. As an experiment, they created a fake TikTok account. Now, if you don't know what TikTok is, I'd I really can't help you. Find a young person and ask them to tell you about this. It probably still won't make sense, actually, but it could help. So this organization created a fake TikTok account, pretending that the user who created the profile was a 14-year-old girl. They wanted to see how long it would take for an ad for plastic surgery to turn up. It took eight minutes. The world will try to offer us answers, and they don't understand when we don't accept them. Peter is saying, don't fall for that. God has a greater story at work in your life, and embracing his story is what will bring you purpose. Don't be surprised when the world around you is confused at your rejection of the story they're wanting you to embrace, 
Because to unbelieving people, this just doesn't make sense. Don't be surprised if you go so far as to suffer for rejecting the story our broken world offers us. This is so true for our students and our young people of the next generation. If you're an adult now and you were ever put on the spot as a teenager to conform to the things that all the other teenagers were doing, I guarantee you, you can recall exactly what that feels like. It's an awful feeling. It's hard to stand up to peer pressure as a teenager, especially when you suffer for it. Young people, you're not alone. Stand strong and be encouraged. Earlier in verse 1, Peter said, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. When you suffer persecution for the sake of Jesus, it almost always profoundly changes your outlook when it comes to pursuing the things of the flesh. You just begin to see more clearly the kind of story that sin and worldly culture produces in your life, and you genuinely want to break ties with it. This is learning to walk in the power of the Spirit. That power is available to you. It's available to all of us as followers of Jesus. Peter continues in verse 7, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Of course, Peter is going to bring prayer into this. It's so important. Prayer is one of the greatest gifts that God gives us. It is sadly often the most neglected. We have to be taught how to pray. The disciples asked for this specifically. Jesus, teach us how to pray. Prayer is not about changing God, but about being willing to let God change us. And we need this paradigm shift to take hold of us amidst our suffering. If we never make this shift, we will only ever be settling for a story of our suffering that will leave us feeling defeated and abandoned and believing that our God has failed us. Peter understood that this shift starts in our minds and it is powered by prayer. Peter knows this truth because he saw it with his own eyes. That night that Jesus was arrested, earlier in the evening, Peter was there when they found Jesus off alone in the garden, praying so fervently regarding the suffering that he was about to endure, that he was sweating blood. What an impact. Can you imagine walking into the garden on that very confusing night and finding Jesus alone in prayer, sweating blood? Can you picture that? You know that image never left Peter's mind. Stayed with him the rest of his life, this example that Jesus was of engaging in prayer, not for our own will, but for the will of God, even if it means suffering is involved. If we can begin the shift in our minds through prayer, our emotions, our words, our actions, and even our character can follow suit in embracing this bigger story regarding our suffering. And I think that's, that leads us to what Peter shares next. Verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another 
as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Suffering is a gift that doesn't make logical sense, but it does make spiritual sense. When we let God script the narratives around our suffering, it can become a catalyst for love in a way that I just don't think anything else in our lives can become. The same expression of love that Peter uses here is also used in non-biblical Greek to describe a runner at full speed, straining for the tape at the finish line in a race. Have you ever watched a sprint race, like in the Olympics, like the real deal? So you've probably noticed the track is an oval. There's two 100-meter straights. There's two 100-meter curves. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this. That first 100-meter straight usually has like a runway that continues off out. The rest of the track continues to, to curve over. If it's an indoor meet, that runway is a little bit shorter, and there's usually a padded wall at the end of that. That's there because runners at full speed, they have a hard time stopping. They need that space to stop. This is probably really hard to believe. I actually was a sprinter in college, and I can recall Thomas's example last week of like the three-point football stance, and I thought about like maybe I should show you guys how you're supposed to line up at the front of the start of a race. It doesn't sound like you want me to do that. I'm going to spare you. I thought if Thomas was here, I'd have him come up here and we could do it side by side and like make it a contest. <laughs> I loved sprinting. I hated the 400 meter sprint. That's one time around the track. It's short enough of a race, you're supposed to sprint the whole thing. It's long enough of a race that it really, really hurts to do that. I lived for the 50 meter, the 100 meter. That 50-meter race is over in like six or seven seconds, so fast. Running those shorter sprints, it was just exhilarating. Knowing the race is so short, I don't have to reserve one ounce of my power and strength. I can go all out, almost out of control, straight down the track, just to the extent of what God created me to do. Exhilarating. That is the perfect example of love at full strength. Suffering can cultivate that kind of full strength love. Isn't that beautiful? That's what our redemptive God does with painful things. And Peter is saying, use that. That full strength love, pour it out on everyone around you. This is something Jesus said to Peter that same night before Peter found Jesus praying in the garden. I doubt Peter understood at the moment, but he sure does now when he's writing this letter. That night, Jesus told Peter, you are going to suffer. You're going to be sifted like wheat, and that's going to test your faith in me. But when you turn toward me, even in your suffering, you will be restored. And then you'll make it your life mission to strengthen your brothers in the same way. 
Luke 22, 31 and 32. Peter is here today doing just that for us. Peter heard these words from Jesus and then he went out and he lived them. He knows it's true. He's passing it on to us. Can't we serve one another well when we share in suffering with each other? The most meaningful friendships in my life have been shaped around suffering that we have in common. And I see God glorified in that. How can that be? That deep pain and heartbreak can create equally deep love and purpose by the strength and transformative power that God supplies when we use whatever finds its way into our life story for the sake of others. Deep communion is formed in shared pain. Communion with God and communion with others. Now here's where the rubber really starts to meet the road for Peter. Talk about running. We are picking up speed now. Verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Peter's basically saying what we know Jesus has said to us already. In this world, you will have trouble. Don't be surprised by it like it's something wildly unexpected. It's going to come. In fact, it's entirely necessary. Suffering fits into God's purposes for us when we let him use it to refine us. Now, this is a good time to remind us all that these words are coming from a man who at one time ran away when the possibility of suffering knocked at his door. At one time, Peter didn't want to suffer. He didn't expect to have to suffer. He didn't think Jesus would ever have to suffer. Mark's gospel tells us that when Jesus would speak plainly and openly about the suffering and the death that he was going to endure, that Peter would take Jesus aside and like rebuke him for it and say, you can't say that. Peter was operating in this world's narrative that true glory is the absence of suffering. Jesus rebuked Peter right back. He said, get behind me, Satan. You've got it wrong. I'm writing a different story of suffering, Peter, and it's not a logical one. It's a spiritual one. It took Peter a while to embrace this new story Jesus was trying to give him. He really wrestled with it. So Peter, he's speaking from personal experience when he says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. Peter knows that sometimes there's suffering that we heap upon ourselves by our own foolish actions. He knows intimately what that feels like, and that makes me want to listen to him. He's saying, you don't want that for yourself. Suffering, it's just, it's so hard to go through, to watch, to understand, to make peace with. 
suffering is the death of the idea of how you thought it was all going to work out. If you've suffered, you know that's true. Suffering is the death of the idea of how you thought it was all going to work out. Surprisingly, this is the same definition of mercy. Praise God, his mercy works the same way. We've all brought negative repercussions into our lives by making poor choices at one time or another, by writing and believing a story that was not the story God intended for us. So did Peter. He knew what it was like to cause our own suffering. He learned from it. He repented. He changed his mind about suffering. That's what repent means, by the way. It means to change your mind. For some reason, we think it means like, be sorry or you'll be sorry. Like when the word repent is in the Bible, there's some kind of looming like, or else, that comes after it. No, repent means to change your mind. Peter changed his mind about suffering. And God's mercy and grace were there waiting for him. They're there waiting for us. Peter realized he had to reject the logical story he was telling himself about suffering. He had to let go of the shame of the lessons that he had to learn. And he embraced the spiritual story God was writing about his suffering. And oh, how he wants us to do the same. Peter wraps up his words on suffering in these final verses. Verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Our salvation and our journey with Jesus and bringing his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven while, we're still, while, we're, while we are still here on it, it does not come without great difficulty, even if we are righteous. But we can entrust our stories to God because he is our faithful creator. Peter has emphasized the, the great sovereignty and the caring initiative of God in our lives throughout this text today. And he lands here with an exclamation to this point, even in the suffering that we experience. In fact, especially in the suffering that we experience. God is going to see us through. He started each of our stories. He's going to finish them. How often do we abandon that belief? We start to write our own scripts in search of logical understanding regarding our hard life experiences. And we use those self-written stories again and again to help us navigate future hard experiences instead of relying on his faithfulness. And how often do those scripts that we use over and over turn into false belief systems about God and about suffering? And those false belief systems, they start to inform the way we think and the way we talk and the way we act. And we stop entrusting our stories to our faithful creator and we entrust our stories to ourselves instead. You see the importance of breaking this cycle 
that robs us of the spiritual meaning and formation to be found, even in the disorienting rubble of our suffering. So, back to this tension that we find in a good God who allows suffering in our lives and in our world. All of these words Peter has been writing this morning lead us to this end. God doesn't just observe our suffering from a distance. He does not fail to respond to our broken hearts. Maybe that's a story you've written to try to make sense of suffering that you have experienced. I invite you to let God reframe that for you because that is not true. This is what God did for Peter. Through Jesus, Peter was able to see that there is a bigger, truer story at work in his life, that God is present in our suffering. And Peter wants us to see that this is especially true when it comes to the suffering that we experience. The crucified Jesus is no stranger to any who have suffered. Jesus is the God of the suffering. Where there is suffering, the Holy Spirit of God is present. This is God with us, our God who joins us in our joy and in our pain. He walks alongside us, partaking of our humanity and our suffering. And in doing so, God makes all human suffering his own. God became man and suffered himself so that our suffering wouldn't be meaningless. Suffering people can love and trust a suffering God. So I ask the same question that I opened with. What's the story you tell of your suffering? Beloved, do you sense the spirit wanting to reframe some stories that you've embraced? You know what's especially difficult about all of this? The fact that we have to let go of those stories we've embraced. Letting go of those false narratives that we've scripted around our suffering. I know that for me, I feel like those stories that I've scripted to try to make logical sense of my suffering, I feel like that they can have a hold on me, like they hold me hostage. But I'm realizing something. Sometimes I have a grip on them. Sometimes I have these story scripts so tightly in my hand, and I don't know why I would do that. I asked my therapist about this. Why would I grip so tightly to something so painful? I don't want this. I want to let it go. And the Holy Spirit began to engage with me and reveal. I hold on to that narrative of my pain so tightly, because if I let it go, and it just floats away, who's going to bear witness to that pain? I want somebody to see it. I need someone to acknowledge it. If I let it go, does that mean it never happened? Won't that mean it didn't mean anything at all if I can just let it go like that? No. No, I want to see it, and I want others to see it, because I want it acknowledged, and I want people to be sorry, and I want everyone to see what I have to carry. See how quickly that can take hold? Like that startles me and that, that is true. What you just heard come out of my mouth. It bubbles to the surface of my heart so fast. 
that is a broken story of my suffering. I confess I tell that way too often. I repent. I want to change my mind about that story of suffering in my life. Peter's saying to us today that God is inviting us to take our death grip off of this story that we're telling of our suffering. Oh, that is so vulnerable. That requires so much trust. I know. But letting go of our broken narratives does not mean that they never happened. Nor does it mean that there is no one to bear witness. Our suffering God knows. He sees. He acknowledges. He wants to place something else in our hands that we can hold on to. A story of our suffering that has deep meaning and great purpose and beautiful redemption. He is our faithful creator, walking with us on this journey, writing a new story that is redemptive. Peter says, arm yourself with this new way of thinking. God's redemption of our suffering is so merciful because we do not expect our stories of suffering to become beautiful. Peter says this vulnerable work of entrusting our stories to the care of our faithful creator, it will be the death of the idea of how you think it's all going to work out. What mercy and grace. 